Heavenly Father, we ask today that you come into this place and come into our hearts. Um, we open our hearts and our minds to you, God, and we ask that you uh, strengthen us and we ask that you transform us. We ask that you empower us to become the men and the women that you want us to be. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We worship you uh, with everything we've got. We ask you, Lord, on, on all of our uh, journeys that you take us to just strengthen us and give us your love and power and courage to go out and do what we're called to do. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, uh, Tim and Jenna Schomburg, I, I just wanted to mention this. Tim and Jenna Schomburg, you guys, you guys know Tim and Jenna? Tim and Jenna, will you stand up for just a minute? I'll tell you what, come up here for just a minute, would you? Tim and Jenna have been at our church for how long you guys been here? Like a year, year and a half? They came and they were like, yeah, we could, we could probably come and help out with, you know, we could do some music or help out a little bit with that. Um, and they came and just like have expanded our music team and just done an amazing job. And now they are being called to Hotlanta, Georgia um, for uh, Tim's work. And it's breaking our hearts uh, because we love these guys, and not just not just musical talent, because that's important, and that that it's it's the Bible says to play skillfully, you know. So it's it's good to have the talent piece, um, but their heart for God and their heart for this church and their heart for worship is inspiring and amazing and mind blowing, and we are it's a big loss for us for them to leave. Um, but God is, is faithful and is faithful to us and is faithful to them. And um, I want to just take two minutes and just let's pray for them as a congregation that God would protect them on their journey and empower them and strengthen them to do what he's called them to do in Atlanta and that he would bring them back to U City Family Church at the appropriate time. Let me just pray for you guys right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Tim and Jenna. We just thank you for their faithfulness. We thank you for... Uh, their love for you and their love for your word and their love for the people of, of this church. We pray for them and we pray for their kids in this transition. We pray, God, that it would be a smooth transition for them, that they would be able to plug in there to a local assembly, a local church, uh, and, and bless that church the way they blessed our church. And God, we ask that during this time that you would give them strength um, as they grieve the loss of friendships and of close uh, uh, friends and loved ones, and that you would provide them with new friends uh, and new uh, men and women of God that they can surround themselves with and strengthen themselves in. Uh, and God, we just ask that you just anoint this entire transition for them. Bless them. Give them strength today. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, guys. Love you. You guys want to say anything? Uh, we want to say thanks to everyone. It's, it's been a great experience being at the church. And uh, we've moved a lot, so um, we're somewhat used to the, the fact of moving, but it, it's never easy when you leave uh, folks that you really care for. As far as us leaving the church and, and you know, mention that, you know, it's a loss, I, I've personally been the person that come in to replace someone not knowing what was going on, and we just happened to go to a new church, and we didn't know that someone was leaving. And God's going to provide, and there's a lot of talent, and, and I would say just keep talking about the Lord as you're out and about and you're talking to people and you're at work, you're at the YMCA, you're working out with somebody, whatever, whatever's going on, tell them about the Lord and invite them to church. And there's so much, uh, so many lives out there that, that should come and experience the great family at UC Fit Family Church and just live that out and, and talk about it and, 
God's going to do great things, and, and we'll be watching and, and, and following the church for sure from afar. So we love you guys, and we appreciate all the support, and thank you. Jenna, nothing from you. <laughs> Write that down. Yes. <laughs> Jenna said she didn't want to say anything. Wow, Jenna. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. Um, um, we love you guys. All right, so we're in the, the, the book of Acts, and today I want to talk about a phrase that it, it just sort of leaps off the page in Acts chapter 20, and it permeates really all of the book of Acts, and, and it's one of these phrases that kind of even comes to us today and, and soars through uh, the decades and comes to us into this congregation even today to challenge us and to encourage us. And it's an exciting phrase. And, I, and I'll tell you the phrase, and then we're just going to unpack it and explore it together. And the phrase is this, finish the race, finish the race. Um, we're going to explore that in just a minute. Uh, about Three or four years ago, my a couple of cousins, uh, one of my cousins invited me and another of our cousins, a lot of cousins, um, to to go to the Great River Run uh, Road Run, which is a ten mile race in Alton, Illinois, and uh, and and I've never I had never run ten miles before, I'd never even run five miles at a go. You know, I was more a hundred yard jog kind of guy. Um, but we agreed, you know, these cousins are younger than me. So I felt like a little bit obligated to show them that the older guy wasn't, wasn't that old. So we say, okay, yeah, we'll go do this race. So we go over to Alton, Illinois, and we line up at the starting line and the horn goes off and we start to run this race. And to my surprise at about the five mile mark, I was still feeling all right. I was pretty fresh, actually. You know, I mean, we weren't, we weren't running fast. We weren't breaking any records, but, you know, we, we just run five miles. And to my even greater surprise, uh, as we started approaching the finish line five miles later, we were all still okay. I mean, we weren't, nobody had thrown up, nobody had passed out, no bones were broken, and we kind of trod across the finish line going, hey, you know, we actually pulled that off, you know. And so then we get together after the race, and we sit down, and uh, we're having a bite to eat, and um, uh, maybe it was the endorphins that were spinning through our brain. Maybe it was the sugar from the Gatorade that we were pounding. But one of my cousins, Daryl Gorley, said, you know, I think that we could run a marathon. And we were all like, yeah, I think we could. I, 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 yeah. Um, a couple days later, of course, the adrenaline wore off. And the aches and the pain started happening. Uh, but by that time, we had already committed. And that midlife machismo sometimes kicks in and sort of forces you to do things you wouldn't otherwise do. So, so we all agreed. And so we started training for a marathon. Now, let me give you just a two-minute history of the meaning uh, of the word marathon. Where did marathon come from? All right. About 500 years before Christ, there was a battle in Marathon, Greece. The Persians had come over across the Aegean Sea and they were attacking the Greeks. And they, the, the Persians outnumbered the Greeks about five to one. And this battle was raging, all right? And, and during the battle, uh, the Greeks chose one of their warriors, who was a, a great runner, Phidippides was his name, and they said, Phidippides, would you run down to Sparta and ask the Spartans to come up here and help us thwart the Persians who are, you know, attacking us? 
fight it, but he says, no problem. Um, Gets his little GPS out. Okay, 150 miles to the south, no problem. Pheidippides starts running. He runs all the way down to Sparta. Uh, And he goes to the Spartans and he says, would you guys help us? We're being attacked by the Persians, but we're your Greek brothers. You know, can can you help us? And the Spartans said, we'd love to help, but we're double booked this weekend. Um, Can can we come up next weekend? They they said, no, essentially. We're not going to help you. So Pheidippides runs all the way back up to Marathon, Greece, 150 miles back up to Marathon, Greece. Of course, the battle is still going on, so Pheidippides pulls out his sword, and now he's fighting in the battle. Well, to the surprise of everyone, the Greeks thwart the Persians. They run them out uh, back across the Aegean Sea, and even though they were totally outnumbered, they won. And so, of course, they need to tell the people back in Athens that they won, and so they turn to Pheidippides, and they say, Pheidippides, You did such a great job running down to Sparta and then coming up and fighting in the battle. Wouldn't you just mind to just run over to Athens and let them know that we've won? Go proclaim the victory that the Greeks have defeated the Persians. And Phidippides says, no problem. So he starts running, and he runs straight to Athens, and it's 25 miles. And according to the legend, oh, and I should, by the way, say some of this may be a little bit legendary. Uh, he, He runs into Athens. And he throws up his arms and he says, rejoice, rejoice, we have won the victory. And then Pheidippides, exhausted, drops to the ground and dies. So the next time your cousin says, I think we could run a marathon, remember the story of Pheidippides. Um, That's the history of a marathon in a nutshell. I knew you wanted to learn something brand new today, and you have. Uh, so, so we're training for this marathon, and within about a week of the training, I realized we're not going to break any records. I'm not going to beat anybody in this marathon. I need to set a goal for myself, and I wrote it down, and my single goal for my competition in the marathon, one phrase, finish the race. That's all I had, finish the race. So we, we, we finished training. We head down to Nashville. Thousands of runners are lined up. The gun goes off. We start to run. For the first few miles, I'm fine. I've got a nice, easy pace going along. I get to 10, 12, 13 miles. Everything's going fine. Get to mile 15. This was, this was just months before we launched New City Family Church. So if you wondered why I was tired for the first year of this church, um, this is why. So we're running, and, 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 and I'm at about mile 15, and I'm on my own now. And I start to feel this pain that is radiating up through my leg. And, and I know what it is because I suffered from it in training. It's, it's, the, it's the inflammation of what's called an IT band. And some of you runners know what this is. But when that thing gets inflamed on the outside of your leg, every step you take feels like a knife is being plunged into your thigh. And you just want to die. And so I'm running along, and I'm at mile 16. I'm at mile 18, 19. I'm starting to see people drop out of the race. Some people are just sort of bailing out, and, 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 and some people are just kind of stopping and then just, you know, slipping into the crowd as if like, oh, no, I was just, just wandering along here. Um, that was going to be my technique if, if at some point I did crack. Um, at one point, at, at mile 22, there was a tent along the side of the race track, and I'm looking at the tent because it looked odd. And in the tent, there are two guys... And behind the two guys are about 10 kegs of beer. No joke. At the race, 
at the raceway, and they've got a table, and they've got Dixie cups full of beer, and they're saying, would you like some beer to all the runners that are running by? I will say I was maybe slightly tempted by, by, by the offer. Finish the race, Rome. So I, I'm, I'm running along, and finally I crested the hill, and I can see the finish line down there, and I sort of stuffed the pain and just focused my attention on the line, and my race was not pretty, and it wasn't fast, and it wasn't perfect, but at the end of the day, I crossed the line, and I finished the race, and I, I can't tell you how, yeah, okay, sure, why not, I'll take that, come on, yeah, you did not have to do that, um, but thank you, um, you know, my wife found me wandering in a daze at the end of the race course. I was like hammering power bars and bananas and, and, uh, she like comes to give me a hug and I just, I fall apart. I I just started like crying. I was just so happy and so thankful and just so done. Um, and I'm never doing that again. Thank you, Daryl Gorley. Um, the apostle Paul, who we've been following in the, in, in the book of Acts, was traveling all over Europe. He was traveling all over Asia. He's spreading the gospel. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's planting churches. He's healing. And, and, he's, and, and the gospel is spreading. And literally, it's unprecedented in the history of the world how quickly this movement spread. Tens of thousands of people around the world started coming to Christ and becoming believers all over Europe and Asia, people from every walk of life, every culture, every creed, every, every, every race. Every, they were coming to Christ. And, of course, Paul was out there just, just, just pouring himself out. And, and during these travels, he was also facing hardships. He was being imprisoned. He was being beaten. He had been, he had been dragged through the streets and, and stoned at one point, left for dead. And, and over and over, he's enduring all of this stuff. And, it, and at finally one point, he begins to sense, this is towards the end of his third missionary journey, he begins to sense that God is calling him to go back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where he had been trained as a Pharisee before he became a believer. He was, you know, he knew all of the religious elites in Jerusalem. Uh, they knew him. His reputation was, was great around the world at that point. And God was calling him back to Jerusalem, and he knew it. But to go back to Jerusalem was dangerous for Paul. Because Jerusalem was the, was the hotbed of this sort of religious elitism uh, of, of these uh, Pharisees and scribes and the Sanhedrin. And they hated this movement. They hated the Jesus followers. And they especially hated Paul because he was such an instigator. And he was such a, 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 an advocate and a missionary for this movement. So they, they, he knew that to go back to Jerusalem would mean that they're going to be calling for his blood. But nevertheless, in his heart, he felt this is where I need to go. And so in Acts chapter 20, he's, he gets together with some of the disciples from Ephesus. And he says in verse 22, he says to them, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. He says, I don't know what's going to happen there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. 
My only aim in life is to finish the race. And what that means for me, Paul is saying, is finish the race means to just live my life out as a testimony to the love and grace of Jesus Christ to everyone I meet, everywhere I go. That's my race. Some people think of finishing the race as dying. Well, if that's the case, we all get to finish the race. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying complete the task that is before me, which is to testify, to be an example, to be a light to the men and women that I meet all over the world, testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and to his grace. Now, if, if you've ever undertaken a challenge, you personally, in your life, uh, then you have some sense of, of what it means to finish the race, right? Maybe for you it was completing high school or completing uh, college or graduate school or your doctoral program. Maybe it was, you know, just getting your kids through school or putting food on the table or, you know, uh, overcoming some addiction or coming through some major health issue. But, but we've all had these instances in our life where this phrase, complete the race, sort of makes sense for us. But what I think Paul is talking about here is something even bigger it's something that doesn't just, it's not just a segment of our life. It sweeps across our life. Because Paul says that finishing the race means completing the task of testifying to the news of God's grace. To lead a life where every day, everywhere I go, I am a testimony of the love of God and the grace of God to everyone I meet. That's the race. And as, I, and, and as I studied this this week, it's, it's a kind of convicting and encouraging passage because you read it and you go, can it be said of me that my sole aim is to finish the race of, of sharing God's love and grace with everyone I meet? Can that fairly be said of me? Like, can I, can I go like Paul and say, yes, that's my only aim? And as believers, I, I, I challenge you with this question. Is that your only aim? It, to, to, to share the love and the grace of Christ with everyone you meet. Because I think really, I mean, we can say in our, in our hearts like, well, maybe this was just Paul's task, right? Maybe this was Paul's particular race, and it's not really ours. But remember in Acts chapter 1, when this whole series started, Jesus said, you will be imbued with power from on high. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he said uttermost parts of the earth, he's talking about you city. He's talking about St. Louis, Missouri. He's talking about us. God has called each and every one of us who are followers of him, who are believers in him, not only to be his disciple, but to make disciples by the way we live by the way we lead our lives, to pour out our hearts and our lives for, for the spread of God's love and grace to everyone we meet. It's a massive challenge. But that, I believe, is what he's saying in this passage. That, I believe, is what God is calling each and every one of us to do. He's calling us to finish the race by loving one another with the love of Christ. He's calling us to finish the race by loving the community around us, those with whom we, we may agree or we may disagree. People who are hurting by, by, uh, complete the, t- the race by, by sharing and giving and helping and strengthening our community. 
You know, complete the race by, by, by strengthening one another in, in community here through life groups or through service or whatever it is. Completing the race by living our life for no one other than Jesus Christ. Finish the race. So the, the race isn't just Paul's race. It's your race. It's my race. We're all called to finish the race. So how do we do that? I mean, how do we put legs to that? What does it mean then for our life to finish the race, right? To, to really live out what God has called us to do and to be. I think the first thing that we learn in this passage is that finishing the race means accepting the uncertain. Accepting the uncertain. Taking risks for God. Remember at the, at the first passage, Paul said, I don't know what's going to happen to me when I go to Jerusalem, but I do know that my life counts nothing for me except to finish the race that I'm called to. Pastor Francis Chan says, God does not call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. You know, when we planted U City Family Church, I remember there was this sort of prayer, this mantra that I had, <laughs> and it wasn't the most encouraging prayer. The prayer was, God, I can't do this. Can't do it. Can't do it, God. I just can't. And at, at some point before the launch of the church, God, I think, spoke into my heart and said, I know you can't, right? Of course you can't. I'm going to do it. I'm using you to help do it, but this isn't your deal, man. This is my deal. And if you could do it, then what would you need me for, right? I mean, if, if we are not taking risks in life to do things for God that we can't accomplish on our own, what value is the intervention of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Why do we need faith, right? We can just do it on our own. God is calling us to have a higher purpose, to, to aim further than we, can, uh, than we can accomplish on our own. He's calling us to live a life that requires him in our life. Finishing the race means that we take a stand in our lives to follow God, even in situations that are difficult, uncomfortable, taxing, uh, challenging, that we, that, we, that we trust him through the uncertainty. I was thinking this week about um, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys remember that story? I, I love that story. You know, that's the one, you know, you get it in Sunday school, but you don't, you don't hear it that much. And, and, and the story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is these, these are young men. These are young, noble, royal men that lived in Judea. And, um, and at one point, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is 600 years before Christ, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the Babylonians had taken over Jerusalem, and King Nebuchadnezzar was bringing the best and the brightest uh, to come and, and, and train and be a part of his royal court. And so he gets these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they're educated young men. They're cultured. They're refined. They're, they're, they're not risk. These are, these are not guys that are out looking for trouble. These are not like adrenaline junkies, okay? These are, these are solid guys, and, and they're, they're wanting to— uh, th- he brings them down, and um, he's training them in the royal court. And while he's training them, he's also completing this project— that he's been working on, and the project is a nine-story golden idol, a statue that he's building um, that uh, he wants everyone to, to bow down to and worship. 
So he's completing this task, and finally he gets the, the, the statue built, and he brings all of his royal officers around him, the king does. And he says, we're going to dedicate this thing. And so we got all the musicians out there. We got the lyres and the harps and the you know, drums and the tambourine and the you know, beatboxers, and everybody's going to be out there, turntables. And, um, and when the music plays, I want everybody to bow down to this golden idol. And so they get everybody out there. The problem is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these are God people. They're not bow down to king people. That's just not them. Uh, it would have been convenient if they could have bowed down. It would have avoided any danger. It would have avoided risk and uncertainty. Um, but that's not who they are. They're people that have a purpose that's higher than, you know, placating an egotistical king. They have a purpose. They're following somebody greater than Nebuchadnezzar. And so when the music plays, everybody bows except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, the king is furious. He's livid. He calls them to him and he says, listen, you guys, maybe you didn't hear my decree, but the decree is if you don't bow down, then I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace and you will be dead. And I love their response to them. Listen to their response in, in, in Daniel 3. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. He's able and he will. But even if he doesn't, <laughs> we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Uh, that response says everything that we need to know about faith. God is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we're going to follow him. And the beauty of that is that they're saying, we have confidence, we have trust, we have faith in God. And we're also accepting the uncertainty of what happens if he says, no, for some other reason in my will, I'm not going to deliver you from the fiery furnace. Either way, we're following him. We're giving our lives to him. We're taking a risk. We're going to finish our race, is what they're saying. Let me ask you this. What changes would you make, would we make as a church in our lives if we were willing to say, I'm going to accept the uncertainty of following God with everything I've got, with my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole body, everything I am, every, er, everything I care about. I'm, I'm going I'm to follow God with everything. What changes would we make? Maybe it's just as simple as opening up a candid conversation with someone about God that you know you, you want to open that conversation with. I like what you said, Tim. Just, you know, sharing what God is doing in your life with someone else. You know, the, the, the problem is sometimes that's uncomfortable or we get a little, like, freaked out about it. We don't want to come off as some kind of religious weirdo, you know, uh, and... You know, so we just avoid. It's okay, though, man. It's okay to share what God's doing in your life. It's okay to talk about Jesus. It's okay. Nothing, it's, it's going to be okay. Um, maybe it would mean that, that you're, you know, you make a commitment that you haven't made. You've been sitting on the, the fence spiritually, but you finally say, okay, I'm, I'm going to lay down my, my, I'm going to lay down my armor and I'm going to give myself over to Jesus and I'm going to, and I'm going to walk down this path with him. Maybe it means that you 
you know, get connected in community in some deeper way at, at either our church or at some church where you become vulnerable to other people and you start to grow and strengthen and you become accountable to somebody and now your life begins to develop and grow spiritually. That, there's a risk involved there. There's a real risk involved there. But if we're really pursuing finishing the race, maybe these are some risks that we ought to take. Maybe these are uncertainties that we can accept. The Apostle Paul knows that there are risks and there are dangers associated with him going back to Jerusalem. He knows this. He knows that uh, it, it, it could be really, really dangerous. Um, in fact, after he says goodbye to the Ephesians, uh, he's, but before he heads back to Jerusalem, he's, he's, he's addressed by this prophet named Agabus. And I love the story of Agabus. Nobody, I, I, you never hear this story in church. I'm going to tell you the story real quick. I need a, I need a, um, a volunteer. Um, I need a man, male volunteer. Not, not, yeah, come on, Lee. I, I, Lee, you'll be good. Come on, Lee. I don't, this might be a really good one for Lee. So there's a prophet named Agabus. Come on up here, Lee. Man. Let me. How you doing, man? <laughs> there's a prophet named Agabus and Agabus comes down and Paul is telling everybody, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, to Jerusalem. And Agabus says, Paul, let me take your belt. And Paul wears this like long rope kind of belt that goes around and round and round him. And, and Agabus takes the, the rope off of Paul, put your arms out like this. And, and Agabus takes this rope and he ties it around his arms like this. And he ties it like this and he says, Paul, this is what the religious leaders are going to do to you if you go to Jerusalem. They're going to bind you, they're going to capture you, and they're going to turn you over to the hands of the Gentiles if you go down to Jerusalem. And this is a prophet of God. Now, he's not telling Paul not to do it. He's just telling Paul what will happen if he does it. And he ties him and he does a visual like this because he wants it to sink in for Paul. What's really going to happen? Awesome. Awesome job, Lee. Let me see if I can get you out of there. Thanks, man. Let's give Lee a round of applause. That was fantastic. He says, this is going to happen to you. And, and all of Paul's friends then and the disciples that Paul has met, I mean, they loved Paul. You know, if somebody's ever touched your life deeply spiritually, you form a connection with that person. And, and, and so they're all saying, they, they know that this is of the Spirit. And so they're saying, Paul, don't go. I mean, they're pleading and begging and weeping and saying, Paul, please don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go. And Paul's response is just stunning. He says in, in verse 13, he says, Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He says, Guys, listen, I love you guys, but don't try to persuade me or sway me with emotion. Don't try to break my heart. Don't try to distract me or deter me from the path that I'm on. 
because I'm on a race and I'm going to finish the race. Finishing the race sometimes means dismissing the distractions. There's a lot of voices that we hear when we're making choices about what to do in our life. Every decision you make in your life is determined by the voice you choose to follow. You hear me? Every decision you make in life is determined by the voice you choose to follow. Who are you going to listen to? Paul could have, you know, Timothy and Silas and Luke and the disciples and the brothers and everybody are there and they're like, hey, you know, Paul, don't go. But Paul says, I am, I'm listening not to your voices and, and I love you guys and you don't mean bad, but I'm listening to God's voice and I'm going to walk down that path. What are the voices in your life and in my life that distract us from lifts, listening to the voice of God? You know, sometimes it is friends. Sometimes we can get sidetracked. Um, sometimes it's fear. You know, the fear that we have, we're afraid because we, to do something that's, you know, for God requires that we give up some level of comfort sometimes for ourselves, and that's a little bit scary. Sometimes it's just a, a, a sense of, of, of doubt, like self-doubt. There, there was a young man that I knew several years ago, incredibly talented guy, passionate guy, had a lot of charisma, and, and, and uh, I, I, feel, I feel like, you know, God had a real plan for him and a purpose for him, but this kid was so wrapped up in doubt and fear that he could just not go forward. He just could not take the steps necessary to move forward in what God had for him. What are the voices that you are listening to that are keeping you from pushing forward into what God has for you? The voice you follow will dictate the future you experience. Nelson Mandela in his autobiography uh, wrote, he says, he says this, he says, I've walked that long road to freedom. I've tried not to falter. I have made missteps along the way, but I have discovered the secret that after climbing a great hill, one only finds that there are many more hills to climb. I have taken a moment here to rest, he says, to steal a view of the glorious vista that surrounds me, to look back on the distance I have come, but I can only rest for a moment. For with freedom comes responsibilities, and I dare not linger, for my long walk is not ended. He's saying, I, I've got to finish the race. I've got to keep moving forward. I've got to keep doing what I'm called to do. We learn in Acts 21 that Paul does go to Jerusalem. He does. And he is captured by the religious elites, and they do call for his blood. And they do bind him, just as Agabus said they would. And they do turn him over to Gentile hands, just as was prophesied. And those Gentile hands are the Romans. And the Romans take him all the way from Jerusalem to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. And this is the brilliance and the beauty and the paradox of the way God works. It's while Paul is bound in Rome, bound and chained and shackled in Rome, that he sits down and writes so many of the the letters of the New Testament that we hold so deeply and so dearly today. God had a plan for every step that Paul was taking, and Paul's saying, I've got to finish the race. He faced the power of darkness, and he didn't retreat. He, he entered the, the combat and the, the, the battle arena, and he didn't shrink back or cower. He wore the scars of beatings and stonings 
and chains and shackles. He had been hunted and haunted and scoffed at and scorned, but he just kept going. Paul's race wasn't perfect. It wasn't pretty. But after years of running the race, Paul finally crossed the finish line. And as he was awaiting execution, he wrote a letter to a young disciple named Timothy. And in the letter, he says, For I am already being poured out, Timothy, like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Like the legendary runner Pheidippides, Paul had entered Rome, proclaimed that Jesus was victor over death, that life prevailed over darkness, that God wins, and then he poured himself out and his earthly life was snuffed out. Finishing the race means giving it all you've got. When Paul says I'm being poured out like a drink offering, what he's talking about is when, when the Jews would, would sacrifice, uh, make a sacrifice on the altar, th- there would be these huge flames and they would prepare this sacrifice and this heat would radiate out of the, the, the altar. And what the priests would do is they would take a cup of wine and they would pour this wine onto the flames. And of course, as soon as the wine hit the flames, a big plume of steam would, 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 a cloud would sort of appear and it would just dissipate and evaporate up into the sky. And Paul in this passage is saying, I'm being poured out. I'm like that drink offering. My life is being poured out onto the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. My life is, I'm I'm giving it all. I'm not holding anything back. I'm pouring it out onto the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And my life will just go up and disappear. And it's no longer me, but it's now, it's Christ. It's not me. I'm I'm gone. I'm going to pour it all out and there's nothing left. I'm giving it all I've got. And now there's just Jesus. It means giving it all you've got. It means It means not settling for a life of mediocrity. It means not settling for a life that is directed at just self-preservation or material gain or, you know, creature comforts. It's a challenge. Finishing the race is a challenge to each and every one of us who calls ourselves believers. It's a challenge to not give in to the counterfeit dream of just a normal life, but to pursue something greater, a greater cause, to pursue the love of God, to pursue the, the, the mission of pouring out our own uh, um, testimony to everyone we meet, everywhere we go, by the way we live, by the way we treat them. It's, it's setting our sights on the prize, striving for greatness in God, I would say to us as a church, let's love radically and without discrimination. Let's pour ourselves out in a cause greater than us. Let's live a life of radical obedience and sacrifice. Let's lead a life of cheerful generosity and magnanimity to the people that we meet. Let's not be afraid of uncertainty and risk. 
let's roll up our sleeves and let's love those who cannot love us back. Let's step into the light of God's grace and let's trust him to see us through so that you and I and all of us as a church, we can say like the Apostle Saul, uh, the Apostle Paul, we fought the good fight, we finished the race, we kept the faith. Let's, that, let's let that be our testimony today and this week and this month and this year. Let's reach out to those who can't reach back and let's love them and bring peace and hope and comfort and beauty and joy into our world. Can we do that by the power of God's grace? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you today. We we hear this challenge, and God, we ask for your strength to accept it, to, to see beyond our own lives and just our own desires and our own wants and our own hopes and even our own dreams, and to see really what it's all about, the dream of pouring our lives out for you, of sacrificing and loving and giving and working and striving to bring your love and your peace and your joy into the hearts of the men and women that we meet and that we encounter in our homes and in our workplaces and and, and everywhere we go, just being a testimony to the grace of God that we're experiencing, God. Help us to do that with everything we've got. Help us to take the big steps. Help us to trust you uh, when we know that we can't do it on our own. Help us to to call out to you in faith with confidence like the the, the three Hebrew children. We know you can do it. We believe you can do it. And, And even if you don't do it, we're following you. We're giving you everything that we've got. That's who we are. We're your people. We belong to you. Father, we ask that you encourage everyone in this room today. Bring your joy into their heart right now. Bring your joy into their heart. Drive away the fear and the, and the shame and the guilt and the um, uncertainty and, the, uh, and, just, and just give them peace and comfort. Give them your love. Father, we praise you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.